uh, one of the one of the main dictates of the conservatory um, Apostle Teresa has been teaching us has been about immersion. And this entire teaching, although it may seem elementary, it takes us back, just like you said, Mr. Maisha, to the beginning. It takes us back to the very foundation of what the Lord uh, came to do and wants to do in us. So we are going to... Um, I will start and get this PowerPoint, I think. Please forgive my uh, my challenges as far as uh, getting stuff together here. All right, let me see here. Can you all see that? Yes? Yes. yes. Thank you. All right. Trying to make sure I can just move stuff around. Okay. So today we're going to begin like that second command and we'll conclude it um, on Tuesday night's Bible study, but something real simple, but it was so profound. We've been talking about um, the command, not just a suggestion of what the Lord was saying, but a command for us to be in salt and light. Um, and as we were really digging into this, the first part, we've had wonderful, wonderful insight about what salt means. And, um, but we can't forget about that. It was a, a two-part commandment that it was salt and light. So we're going to talk about the light, the light portion of the commandment that he gave us. We've already discussed about what conservatory is and what is a conservatory and the principles of our measure. And I just wanted to say that I think Mr. Darling does an excellent uh, job of really uh, making sure that we know that when I encourage the conservators that you just never know when the, the pop-up quiz will happen. So it's imp really important that we understand these principles. But what I've been, been seeing as well as we've been going through these um, these uh, principles is that it's all in our, our study, it, uh, transforming nations, how we renew our mind and really getting into the, the mindset of what it means for us to be sought in light and reinforcing the covenant. We reviewed covenants the last um, couple of times of, of the salt covenant or the new covenant that we've been entered to and what that means and that Jesus is our mediator and elevating Christ above men. We'll even see today how the Lord was saying, hey, I am greater than Moses. Uh, he that's greater than Moses is here and, and, and increasing our understanding. We're beginning to understand more and more and how um, cohesive his word is and how that needs to be um, responding in our life. And this is a disclaimer of the information that you're about to receive. So from the beginning, and you know, those of us, we probably went to Sunday school if you were raised in church or whatever, and you understood that there was a, a scripture in Genesis, the very first book of, of the Bible. And we learned um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, you know, as we go back to remembering, and I'm sure you're like me, there have been things that you have 
learned as a child. And it doesn't have to be the scriptures. But now as you become an adult and you're like, oh, that's what that means. So as I was um, looking at this, I thought it was important that we would go back to the beginning of what the scriptures were saying about not just salt, but light. And in reviewing that, I saw that from the beginning, God was the one that he created. So he says in Genesis 1, 3 through 5, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So this was the beginning of the creation of physical light. But we're going to draw this in to let us see who the true light was. So when I was studying about this, um, the word light in Strong's in the Hebrew is or It means illumination or luminary, including lightning, uh, even happiness, brightness, uh, clear day, morning sun, everything that you could possibly um, associate with light, we see that. We've seen how powerful light is. We've seen that at certain times of the day, that um, daybreak, day breaks because light shines and then darkness has to, um, has to surrender. I'll say it like that. And then when it was night, because he called the, 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 the light day and the darkness night. So there's a balance he created for light and darkness, but we'll begin to see how the power of his light really begins to flick in our lives, what he was saying in the spirit. So here comes the light. Here was John uh, 1, he's one of my favorites in the beginning. So it goes back to the beginning, but he's beginning to talk about the word. Genesis 1 and 1, he just spoke it. He says, let there be. And those of us that have studied, we understand that uh, what is called the determinant council, Father, the Word, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they agree in one, that, that's in First John, but they spoke this, God said, and it was done. And so now he's saying in John 1, 1 through 3, 6 through 9, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, who we're talking about, Jesus, and without him, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I believe in, in Colossians, it also gives this reference that he was in the beginning and nothing was made that was made. In him was life. So there was the beginning of creation. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. In, a, in our next slide, we'll talk about what that comprehends means. And there was a man sent from, John, from God whose name was John. He came for witness to bear witness of the light but he wasn't that light. He was bearing witness of the true light, which gives light to every man. We're talking about the Lord. So a lot of times, let's go back one. We will see the scripture, the light 
he shone in darkness and the darkness couldn't comprehend it. And comprehension isn't that um, it couldn't, that they couldn't understand it, but they couldn't overtake it. They couldn't lay hold of it. They couldn't obtain it. They couldn't make it bow down and make it a slave. Um, I like this particular instance where it says, of evils overtaking one of the last day, overtaking the wicked with destruction. It was like a demon can tor torment light. Um, when I looked at this, I was like, it can't even be kidnapped. It can't be subjected. There is no submission. There is nothing that can overpower light when it's real. Now, there might be some other types of light. Of course, those the in the spiritual sense, those lights will fail. You know, we talk about angels of light, which are the true light. But when the pure light of Christ is present, it can't be diminished. I want to make that really clear. It cannot be diminished. I am really um, excited about what we are learning here because the more that we understand, you know, we understood what the power of, of, of the salt was, how we preserve, how, how different things happen, uh, the power of it. And one of the things that I am, sorry, got to turn my phone off. One of the things that um, we've been learning about salt is that out of the many things that we have learned, we learned about spilling the salt when it comes to somebody who wants to get out of covenant with you. We've learned about the power of salt of how it is a fertilizer and it changes. It cannot change its constitution, but when it is used, it can be used as a, um, a preserver, a purifier. So I was, I was so amazed at how the Lord began to first talk about salt and then he brought in the light because then as we're being prepared um, by the salt, then we are ready for the light. So we were talking about earlier what happened in Matthews 4, how after uh, Jesus was tempted by the enemy and he came through and he began to, um, he chose four of his disciples and then he began to explain who he was. He began to announce here I am, you've been waiting for the Messiah uh, and I'm coming to help you. Now, it was interesting to me that I found that there was three things that he came to do to show um, not just his Messiahship, but the heart of the father. He came to teach them. It says he was teaching and preaching in their synagogues. And then he came and he fed them. And then finally he delivered them. He healed them. And it's important that we understand what that motivation is when there is so much going on and there's so many things that could draw us away from the mandate of what he has given us. It's important that we remember why we're here, why we're saved, why he's anointed us, why he salted us and why we're walking in light. It can be very confusing if we don't have that as a foundation. And I understand now why the Lord wants this foundation laid because of where we're going. And we have to know about our salt ship and our light ship. We have to understand what that really means to be a salted son, not assaulted as in there is some kind of abuse, but a salted son that we come into the place of maturity 
and understand what it means to be really sought in light. So Jesus identifies himself. And um, so he actually begins to uh, make his announcement based on a prophecy that prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9 and 2, and he spoke it in Matthew 4 and 16. And this is what I love about the Lord. He always bridges what's going on with the scripture. If we become real students, we'll begin to see how he will tell you, I am, I am a manifestation of the law, but I'm coming to bring you into grace. So he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So here he is. I'm the light. I'm getting ready to shine on you. And my, my shining on you is going to teach you what this kingdom life is. My shining upon you, I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you. I'm preaching to you. I am showing you the Father. I believe in, in John... Uh, maybe 14-ish, somewhere around there. They say, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. What did he say? He said, when you've seen me, I am the manifestation. When you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am so in alignment with whose I am and who I am until when you see me, you see the Father. I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I see my, I only say what I hear my father say. And we should be the same. So he began to tell them, he says, look, I'm showing up and light is shined in your, in your darkness. And I don't know about you, but there have been times um, since we've been saved where we had a, we needed the light to shine. We needed a personal experience of, of Jesus Christ, the light. We needed him to shine in situations that we were facing. And when he shone, I mean, clarity came, power came, understanding came. So when that light comes, it comes because we need him. Now, can you imagine all of the multitude that was standing there? And it was just a few, okay, so you got a few church folks in the synagogue. He he's telling them who he is, but word got out. And there was multitudes coming from air everywhere. When I read the scripture, I was amazed because it wasn't just in Judah and Jerusalem. Syrians came out, all kinds of people. So here he was preaching the message to the people that had been waiting on the Messiah. And he gave this promise. I'm the light of the world, the whole world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And one of the things that I appreciated about Apostle Bernard's message last week, that there is a beholding, there is a seeing, there's a, um, uh, a crystallizing of our sight, a focusing on. So in order for us to follow him, we got to see where he's going. Have you ever seen... Um, someone that is blind, they have the stick, they, the stick. they may have um, a seeing eye dog because they need a guide to, to help them find their way. And when it comes to coming out of the world, we've been blinded to a lot of things. And, and he comes and he opens up, uh, one of the prophecies says that he opens up the, the sight of the blind. He opens the deaf ear 
the mouth of the dumb, meaning the mute. He enables us by his light life to have those things fall away from us so that we can be effective in the kingdom. And he's still enlightening us. Ephesians, the prayer that the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, I believe it was uh, one, and actually I think it's repeated in chapter three, um, that he prays for that our eyes would be enlightened, that we might know, that we might know. So knowing also uh, happens when we truly behold something. Have you ever come into a knowledge of something that before time you just, you were ignorant of? But when your eyes were open, then you began to see and you were able to uh, move forward and what um, you desired. So he said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Going back to John 1, when they said that he was the light of life. You have him, but you have to follow him so that you don't walk in darkness. After he identifies himself, he identifies us. You are the light of the world. He just said he was the light of the world. Now he's he's commissioning us. He's pouring his life and his focus and, and the ministry into us. He says, you are the light of the world. Listen, I don't know if you have ever, I'll say almost everybody, everybody has a time or two when you have uh, been driving along or riding along and you would see maybe a mountain, maybe um, on a hill, some houses. It couldn't be hidden. It, it couldn't, you couldn't hide it. So he was making um, the analogy that a city that's set on a hill can't, you can't be hidden, nor do they take a lamp. Take a lamp and you hide it, put it under a basket. Some translations say put it under a bushel. But you take that, you don't hide that light. You take it where everybody can see it. So just think about it. There in your house, we all have lights. We cut the lights on so we can see. Even if you have a lamp, you still cut it on so you can see. But they say you put it on a lampstand. You put it on something so that it can illuminate the entire area. And it gives light for everybody. So why would we want to hide what God has given us? Why wouldn't you want to have the light shown to everyone? We've testified about how we've gone. We've not said anything like um, Minister Darlene was saying, just riding along and say, are you a Christian? Because people understand the light and they, whether it's someone that has light with them or someone that doesn't have it, they recognize the light. There was, so let me finish this so I can tell you this, this story. Um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. There was a very um, popular um, and famous prophet. Um, he's now gone on to be with the Lord. He was uh, in a restaurant. And this guy comes in who was a Satanist. Of course, he can recognize that that is what was going on because this guy uh, decided to show up. He wanted to challenge the prophet and this and that. And he came and actually sat down 
And he was ready just to, to tear this man of God up. But he had his head down and he was like, you know, hey, how are you doing? So the prophet was greeting him, you know, and, and saying, um, are you okay? He said, man, you know, I came here to, to really tear into you, but I, just, I can't look at you because of that light. He actually saw the glory of the Lord on this man of God. He could not look at the light. And there have been instances, even in the Old Testament, when Moses came down from um, receiving the, the, the tabernacle, the, the commandments of the Lord, and they, he had to veil himself because he had been in the glory. And we're going to talk about the glory. He had to veil himself because people couldn't see. They couldn't, it made them uncomfortable. And sometimes when you're letting your lights shine, it will make people uncomfortable. And it's okay. Because at some point, his glory made us uncomfortable as well. Till we got to the place where we understand. And even now, there were times when um, his motivation for getting us to the place of being light will be uncomfortable um, to us um, because he's fleshing out that which is not probable to him. It might even be darkness, might look shady, but he's coming to manifest himself in our life to the point where our whole life is a yes to him. There have been times where we was like, God, okay, I'm good for this. I'm good with that, but I ain't doing this. And we began to push back where he wants to bring his light, where he wants to bring his glory. And I'm, I'm praying for all of us that we would uh, get to the place that there's nothing that we would not surrender to him. So anyway, what kind of light was this? Um, there was a, a, a word uh, that described glory and light. It was the visible manifestation of God's presence in the Old Testament. We will see it as light and fire and, and clouds and, and smoke. And we can see it when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of uh, bondage and the Lord guided them by a, a, a cloud, a fire, pillar by night, all of that. We've also seen that when there was uh, such a power in God, please, I'm asking that he would restore us to this place. There was a place where the worship was so heavy that the Shekinah glory was so present. Nobody could do anything, couldn't even stand up. You may have, and I'm sure you've gotten to the place where um, there was a power, the, the, the power of his presence just broke you down to your knees. Maybe you were in, 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 in worship, maybe you were in prayer and you knew that this was God's answer in response to your request. I heard um, a man of God last night that he was like, he's going to get, I'm going to make God manifest. He's going to come. I, I, I need an experience. And he said he fasted and he prayed and he lay prostrate and he cried and he's quoted scripture and he did everything that was in his toolkit of prayer. And, but when he got to the end of himself, he said, you know what? I give up Lord. I don't, I don't know. And when he surrendered, then the power came, then the presence came. And sometimes we can get caught up too much on a ritual, too much on what we, we, you know, what we think will bring him 
to our aid, to answer our prayer. And sometimes he just wants us glory to God. He just wants us to get to the end of ourselves, to the place of surrender so that it moves every kind of protest from our hearts. It moves every kind of agenda. It moves every kind of pushback, of moonwalking, of resistance. And then his power comes. Then his anointing comes. When there's nothing else left and our yes becomes real, then he ushers in the experience of a lifetime, an experience where we know not only that we are seen and we are loved, but that we have the privilege of being chosen. I want us to get that, that we have the privilege of being chosen for him. So it's that kind of light, it's that kind of glory. And it is only that, like Apostle Bernard was saying, behold, look, see, behold his glory because it is the glory that brings the transformation. It brings the grace, it brings the truth. Sometimes you can be so worried about God, I wanna do it right, I gotta do this and that. And he's just like, just let me shine in you. Just let me, just let me, you be shining, <laughs> let me shine. So when he appeared to the people, he didn't look like, you know, he was, he looked like the regular people. He looked like the regular people. He didn't look any different. And sometimes, you know, back in the day we had a, um, you know, you had to wear certain things. Anybody remember pantyhose? Okay. <laughs> so we had, we had to dress a certain way. And I'm not saying that anything is wrong with that. I believe as kingdom citizens, we should represent well. But there was a, a, a rule, <laughs> unwritten, um, that you would have to wear certain things, your dress or your skirt had to be a certain length, your pants had to, you know, you didn't have to look like you were in uh, Spanx or whatever. We, there was a certain kind of thing that we felt might exhibit. Now people might look at that, oh, she's religious. Oh, she's spiritual. But it wasn't even about that. Jesus looked like everybody in his area. He didn't have come in with a big old crown and, you know, his robe uh, trailing and, you know, people bowing down and whatever. He didn't look any different. His physical body served as a veil that covered the brightness of his glory. And only one time that's recorded in the Mount of Transfiguration did that glory shine through. He wasn't trying to just let people see all of that. He wanted them to see him as the lamb of God, the man of God, the servant of God, so that they can receive him. Back in the um, Old Testament, when people saw the fire, they heard a voice and it, it, it made them afraid. So he wanted us to, to represent him in a manner where the kingdom, that we could populate the kingdom, that we could bring sinners to repentance. 
He has a reason for that salt and then the light so that we can exhibit his life and not be religious. So what is our salt? We've talked about our salt life. What does our light life look like? What does that light look like? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So I guess I, and then he said it again in, in um, Ephesians 5.13, same chapter. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children. Don't come in here like you're brand new, like you have never sinned, like nothing has ever um, you know, you came here with angel wings. And so we know the scripture says all have sinned. Listen to this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is because of the sin we fell short. We fell short. And now he's saying you used to be there. But now your light. I bridged that gap so that you don't have to miss this glory. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Did we get that? So if we even hear conversations or read things we have to know what his light looks like. Some things you just know, okay, Lord, that's not you. But we have to be very careful because we have angels of light that will make things look like it's right when it is not. So um, in order for us to know and can discern light from darkness, right from wrong, we have to behold him. And the more that we behold him, the more that we are, um, transformed into his image and we can we won't listen to everything we will know for the truth now first john 1 and 7 says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin walking in the light is because we've been holding the word and the word how many of you have ever um, saw something that you didn't like and you were going to make that, um, straighten that person out with their viewpoint? And then he takes that same word <laughs> and shows it to you. He said, okay, I know you were getting ready to set them straight, but this is you. This is you. So as we walk in the light, he begins to um, quicken our understanding, open up our eyes to see it his way. And then he cleanses us from sin. That pride, whatever it is that the sin is, it, he cleanses us because we begin to walk in the light. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So we can't say, so there is a certain heart posture that light brings and roots out anything not just the hatred but anything that is not like him so he deals with hypocrisy you can't say that you're in the light and you hate people and he specifically says your brother your the fellow citizens in the kingdom 
the light is not there. Then he says, a city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in, for the glory of God illuminates it. The lamb is its light. It's talking about um, the millennial feast or the, the feast of the lamb. We don't have to have any of these other physical luminaries because he's the light. And can you imagine that his life is so powerful that there's no need for any other kind of light because this glory illuminates it. And when we have him as our light, the desire for a lot of things, these things of the world, I'm not saying that there are certain things that you can enjoy. But even in some of those things, it begins to diminish. There is no, there's no comparison. There's nothing that can be substituted for him, for his light. I was speaking with someone and we were talking about how um, there has to be, um, we have to recognize where our, our hungers and thirsts uh, when he was teaching um, the Beatitudes and he was saying, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. We have to monitor or be cognizant of the things that we hunger for. It's natural that, you know, you've had a hard day at work or whatever, and you just want to chill and you just want to take, let me watch a movie or let me, let me do this. Let me have a good dinner and anything, anything. But because we can sometimes get in a place where those things can uh, be overindulgent, we just go overboard. And he's just saying, because we are light, that we do things in moderation because we never know what situations may happen where we are called upon to be light in somebody's life. He talks about there's no night there. There's no need of a lamp or a light because the Lord gives us light. So here's a story we have all heard about um, Saul. This is what it looks like when you're apprehended. He was knocked down um, right in the middle of his mission against God. It says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, these were Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus, whether men or women, can you just imagine that? He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so the first thing is that here he was, he was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had been taught, he saw that um, this uh, heretic Jesus, and he's on the uh, agenda, with the Sanhedrin, he went to the high priest. He said, listen, you know, um, I've been taking care of business. I've been threatening and I've actually murdered these disciples of the Lord and, and give me letters so that I can, can go into Damascus and, and round them up and kill some more men and women. Can you imagine 
what that looked like to those families. Under orders, he goes with soldiers. He drags these men and women out. Are you followers of the way? And no matter how, they tried to hide. And there is historical proof that they were hiding. They had gone underground. And we don't even understand what that looks like. In, in other nations, um, China specifically, they have whole underground churches where they can be there for hours listening to the word. And we can't even give God an hour or two. They are underground. They love him, but they're in fear because they know they're being hunted. And here is Saul getting permission from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He's getting permission. And can you see how you can start out loving God? Um, the Pharisees, the council, that you have drifted away now so that when uh, and none of the scriptures tell them to do this, but this is of their own agenda, their own um, mindset. So here he is, he's getting permission from, from the Sanhedrin, and here he goes looking for men and women of faith. And I'm sure if they had children, <clears throat> they were um, destroyed as well. He wants to bound them up and bring them to Jerusalem. So while he's on his way to Damascus, suddenly here comes the light. It shone around him from heaven, knocked him to his feet. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, now he, he gets an understanding. He understands who it is now. And the Lord says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the ghosts, the pricks. It's hard for you to kick up against me. And so trembling. So can you imagine this man that made everybody else tremble? He's trembling now because he's never, he's never out of all of his studies, mastering several languages, teaching and, and out of everything. He has done. He has not come into an experience with the Lord. So it humbles him and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, get up, get up, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. And this is his testimony later that he had to, he's going to be sent and that he's going to turn people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and teach them about their, they have forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance among those that are sanctified by Jesus. He dealt with him so much until he said, yeah, you're going to, we're going to do a reversal. You're going to deliver people now. You're going to bring them with your teaching, with your understanding of me. You're going to turn them from darkness to light. Now, I wanted to go back here for a second, and I did not. I did not include this in my slides. So, and you can look this up as well. Um, 
Acts 9. He's knocked to the ground and he says, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to go into the city and then you'll be told what to do. And then the Lord um, goes into the city. The Lord visits a man named Ananias. It's different from Ananias and Sapphira, totally different. Ananias was a common name to like John and, and even Jesus. So the Lord talks to Ananias. And can you imagine, it didn't say Ananias was a prophet or a priest or anything, just somebody that the Lord was talking to. And he just said, listen, Saul is coming to your house and I want you to lay hands on him because um, I blinded him. I want you to lay hands on him so he can be healed. And Ananias says, wait a minute, God. This man killed people. He killed people that love you. He kills anybody that's of the way. Men, women, he don't care. And you sending him to my house. And you know what? We probably would have felt the same way. He says, yeah, but I've called him. And the scripture says he has to, out of everything that he has done, I'm, I'm saving him because he'll have to suffer for my namesake, for my sake. And Ananias says, okay, here we are. This is what light does. Light, his light in us makes us agreeable to his will. Saul, he goes to the city, asks around, where's Ananias? Since an Ananias house. And just as God has said, here is Saul, blind as a bat, can't see anything, humbled. And Ananias takes him in, prays for him in three days. He didn't eat, he didn't drink, he was blind, but then he had the testimony that now he could see because he came into the power of the light. He came into the glory. So here is one thing. Here's the Lord dealing with this situation. He's tired of it. You're killing my people. On the other hand, here is one of his people that he uses to bring Saul into the kingdom. Can God use us? Can he make us an Ananias? Do we have such an attitude with people that we won't be like? And I'm not just saying this as a... Um, evangelistic message. There's opportunity everywhere we go, but are we in such a rush that we can't let our light shine? Okay. That's a question. That's homework. So here we are. We understand that Christ is above Moses. We say it in our, in our four pillars, but then here's the background of it. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and said, I, I, I'm fulfilling the law, but I got something else for you. I got this grace, this empowerment to really know me and this truth that will help you understand why I came and why I came in you. For us, 
for it is the God who come it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so he commanded the light he commanded the light to shine into darkness it shines in our heart why because we need to be enlightened with his knowledge of the glory. There is a glory that we're pursuing and understanding where that glory is, where you're beholding, what are you focused on, what um, has your attention, because it's found in the face of Jesus Christ. You, We've often heard of people say, oh no, I gotta get in his face. Meaning that all of our attention has to be where the glory is. Now, to them, God willed to make known what the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a mystery. It's a mystery that all of what God is that we have access, not just access, but that his life is in us. He was the hope of glory. And now we're his hope for the world. We are his light. We are his, we are him in the world. Therefore, In Matthew 5, he begins to illuminate the principles about us, poor in spirit, meek, has to do with us. Then he tells us about how we're to interact with others and how we're to interact with him. And sometimes those things might not feel good. And he brings us this encouragement. In 2 Corinthians Four, sixteen. He said, "Don't lose heart. It it might get tough. Glory walk, light walk is not a cakewalk. There'll be some things that will be challenging. Well, you will question, Lord." Did you tell me do this? Because I don't know. This this might not sound like you. So when you start having those thoughts, this is what he said. And I'm gonna read. Let's talk, let's start with, and I it's not here, but let's go with 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And we're going to read this and then we will be done. We're going to read the entire um, fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, well, let's go up a little bit. Let's go to chapter 3 and verse. 
12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, okay? Um, we talked about that, but then here it is. But their minds were blinded for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ? There's no more veil. It's being opened. But even until this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, and can you see this is why Christ is greater than Moses? Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding, there's that word again, as in a glass, like you're looking through a glass and you're seeing this, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Do you see what that is saying? Whatever we behold, we become. So you're beholding the glory of the Lord and you're changed by that glory into the same image. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, all that we have, the song, the light, and everything that he is saying, seeing that we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of what? The truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, if our light is under a lamp, under a bushel, it is hid to them that are lost. People need to see the light. Verse four, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, that's just like um, what they said about um, John the Immerser. He wasn't there. He was. He came to point to the light. He was not the light. He came to point to the light. in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves but Christ, Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have what? This treasure. What treasure? Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are, here it is. This is why he's telling you to be encouraged in this light walk. We are troubled on every side yet not distressed, 
We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, there's that word. He went all the way back, Matthew 5, talked about the persecution, that we're blessed. We are fully satisfied when men revile us and persecute us and say all kind of evil against us. He's saying persecuted, but not forsaken. You have to know that he's there. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always, always, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, in us, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Here it is. For which cause we faint not, we're not giving up, we're not falling out, we're not fainting. Because though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How are we renewed day by day? We are renewed in knowledge. We're renewed in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Back to 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. 6. For our light affliction is light. Some of the things that we go through, especially in the Western world, you know, we have fits about stuff and there are people in other parts of the world who are so committed to Christ, they would probably laugh at the things we have issues with, the, the things that uh, we, we stomp off and pout about. We don't really know the, the kinds of persecutions and the things that we think are hard. Or nothing. So they may, and some of us, not everybody, but it says all the things that I read here about uh, troubled on every side, distressed, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. He says, this is light. This is a light affliction. You're, you're looking at people, the writers of these, um, the disciples, the apostles that lived out their life and had to go through some tremendous things. Here it is. For our light affliction, which is, but it's just for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's a weight to glory. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday night as we conclude this series. But there's an eternal weight, exceeding an eternal weight of glory, the manifestation of Christ in us. So here we are. We're talking about beholding, looking, focusing in light of all that we have to deal with, all we have to go through in understanding who is in us. 
what he's revealed to us, what he is revealing through us. He's saying, while we don't look at the things which are seen, because sometimes the things that you see is not the truth. Have you ever watched, and I'm sure, you know, there's different um, shows that are talking about legal proceedings, and I won't name any particularly that's in the headlines at this time, but there have been times where you would call a witness in the court and the person will testify that that's what they saw. It is true. I saw it. I saw him do that. I saw her do that. They broke in that man's house. I saw them sneaking out. I, I saw what they did to that person. Then you get another one with their eyewitness testimony. It's totally different. And of course, now, um, if, if surveillance is right, you know, security cameras or whatever, even though sometimes those things can be manipulated, usually in the case when it comes to the court of law, that is a more reliable witness. So sometimes we can look at things and have the wrong perception. And he's just saying, we're not looking at these things. These are things that are seen, but what I want you to see are the things that are not seen because the things which are seen are temporary. It's going to go out of style. It's not going to last. But the things which are seen are eternal. We're going to close this with this, this biblical prayer. And Ephesians, there are two, Ephesians 1.18. Father, we're asking according to this prayer that this will be what will constitute a shaking, a reformatting of what we're looking at. Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we will know what's the hope of our calling and what the riches of the glory, the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, in us. And what is the exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe According to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in Christ, when you raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all the stuff that we be tripping on, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And that you put all things under his feet and you gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills everything. We ask, Lord, that you, as you've called us to be fellow heirs, 
of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ by your gospel. We thank you that you are making us ministers according to the gift of grace that you've given to us by the effectual working of this power. We thank you that you have given us this grace that we might bring our lives as messages that people will understand the uncertain riches of Christ and that will make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now and to the principalities and powers in heavenly places that we might be made known the manifest the manifold wisdom of God according to your eternal purpose in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith. We thank you that we have this privilege of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that you would grant us according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might by the spirit in our inner man, that Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which casts knowledge. That we will know we might be filled with all the fullness of God, that knowing to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, let that light work and that salt work be perfected in us. Unto you be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages without end. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you. I ask that the word will overflow in us, that we will continue to understand what it is you've called us to do and be, that this light will open the blinded eyes, will unstop deaf ears, that hearts will be transformed that we be transformed and that you would get glory, praise, and honor out of all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.